Let me read Mark 16, 14, 15, and 18 and 19. Afterwards, he appeared to the eleven themselves as they reclined at table. He reproached them for their unbelief and hardness of heart because they had not believed those who had seen him after he had risen. And he said to them, Come to all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. So then when the Lord Jesus had spoken to them and was received into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God, and they went out and preached everywhere where the Lord had worked with them and confirmed by the word that the sign they are to follow. Privileged to hear those testimonies. I thank the Lord that I'm not, I have not been sent to a Jeremiah type of ministry like John and Jane. Um, I think that I would be very discouraged after investing so much, so many years, so much time, and see what by our standards would be would seem like very little fruit. Uh, hearing Suresh and hear all the persecution that they're facing every day and and somebody praying, don't take the, the persecution away. Help us to be wise through that. I just want to fold my Bible and sit down. You know, but, but what is really beautiful is that no matter where you are, God has expectations from us to go and share the gospel according to this, this part that we're going to be looking at today. Today is no longer Philippians, now is Mark, um, Mark 16, 15. And this has been the, the verse that really has moved this conference. And this conference, what it says, and thank you, Bernie, for uh, reading that scripture. Uh, but let me tell you a little bit, maybe this is going to change. A, and Let me tell you that when I grew up, all I wanted was, in the words of Adrian Rogers, I was following a religion just like many religions in the world. And there's only two kinds of religions in the world. One that is spelled D-O, do. And I was following that. And I was very, very committed to it. Imagine when somebody died in Mexico in our area, we had to dedicate nine days to pray for their soul to be rescued from purgatory and be sent into heaven if God wanted to. It was a prayer on do, do, do. It was a religion based just like the rest of the religions in the world. D-O, do. But then there's the other religion in the world. And that is spelled D-O-N-E, done. And the Lord Jesus Christ said that from, from, hanging from the cross, and he said, Telethestai, it is done, it is finished. That's what we are proclaiming. So when I, growing up, you know, people would come to our door, because my mom and my grandma knew how to pray the rosaries, for people that have died. So very, at a very early age, I was 
I was experiencing what it was like to help people in their time of need. And that's what really was prompting my heart to help others. What I didn't know is that Jesus had said already, it is done. You don't have to do anything else. You only have to believe in Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. From that point on, what I have seen in the Scriptures is everything like this, that the Lord said in uh, Mark 16, 15. Go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. My, my desire tonight is that if we, are, we have seen before, this morning we saw partnership in going. Now it will be partnership in sending. And we have very specific things that we need to do. But I'm sending, I'm sending you my love. You remember when we used to sign those, those cards at the end? Yeah, we would write a letter or maybe now it's a text uh, or an email. And sometimes we would feel, we would, say, we would say at the end, I'm sending you my love. In a sense, when we are sending a missionary, we're sending them our love. Right? We're sending them our love because we're sending the best that we have. The missionaries that are going to preach the word to people that haven't yet heard about the Lord Jesus Christ. Or that haven't really understood what the gospel is about. So every time that we send the missionary, we are saying we're sending you our love. We're sending them. And when we send people to the mission field, we are directly and indirectly making a, a threefold love proclamation. Sending a missionary is uh, might not be very practical nowadays. Have you thought about that? It might not be very practical. You know, they go and they need insurance and besides they need to live in a place where it's a little bit more uh, secure, away from certain areas because they might be in danger of being kidnapped, etc., etc., etc. Maybe, just maybe, we need to make sure that the person that is going really has a calling to be like the people that they're going to be ministering to. It has become really expensive, right, to send missionaries. But it doesn't mean that we have to stop. It just means that we have to rethink maybe every once in a while how we are doing it. What I love about this chapter is that there's a parallel passage and that is found in Matthew 28, where Jesus said, All authority is given unto me, therefore go. So we're going to go with authority. And you know, I was thinking of a really beautiful example that Tony Evans was giving us one day about the NFL and the authority. But even though his is really good, and pr probably I, I encourage you to go and read it by, uh, for, by yourself, about the three teams in the field. And you know, one might be in a different color, the other one is in a different color, but there's another team in the middle of the game. In any given day, any given Sunday, there are three teams in the field. And one is dressed in white and black. But they don't respond to either of the other two teams, right? As a matter of fact, they have a commissioner. They respond to that commissioner, not to the, either of the teams. Actually, if they try to 
benefit either of the teams, they are breaking law because they are not operating under the authority of uh, the NFL, of 200 Park Avenue in New York City. Because what the commissioner says and what the book says is authoritative. Here's what they need to obey. And at the moment that, they, that they're helping one team more than the other, oh, not only they're not helping the game, they're out of fellowship with the commissioner. And with the other team and with all the people that are surrounding them. See, when we go into the world, we're not going because we want to sometimes. You understand? We're going out of obedience to the one that has authority. He's telling us, go. I remember one day when my dad, he was a policeman. And, you know, every two days he would rest. So one day he's eating with us, with my brother and me. And my grandma, who lived with us, that was his uh, mother-in-law, my grandma, my favorite grandma. Sorry, the other grandma. But, um, but, but she's the one that cooked. And one day, uh, my dad asked her to make fish soup. Now, I love seafood. And probably for the kids, this is like gross. But I love seafood in general. But that day, my grandma decided, because my dad asked her that, that she was going to make this fish soup. And I remember seeing this head of the fish picking up from the bowl, you know, looking at me like this. And I just didn't want to eat that. Let me tell you. I look at that, and it took like 15 minutes for me to even try to take a little bit of that soup. But you know what happens with fish soup, once it goes cold, mmm, it's jello. It's a cold, salty, fishy jello. Yum, right? So, anyway, so I'm there, my grandma's looking at me, and I think I was her favorite, just between us, right? And she's looking at me, and she's like, oh, pobrecito, poor kid. So she's looking at my dad and is like, Antonio, my dad's name was Antonio as well. Antonio, are you going to keep that poor five-year-old kid in the table? And my dad, you know, he kept looking at his newspaper. He looks at her and says, I am not going to get up, and he's not going to get up until that bowl of fish soup is gone. See, my mom, my grandma wanted to get rid of that bowl. She wanted to throw it away. And my dad said, warm it up for him again, please. She goes out, warms it up, comes back, puts it in front of me. I still ain't going to eat it. <laughs> Finally, a couple of hours later, I had no other recourse but to eat, to chow down that thing. I think my grandma kind of little by little took away a little bit of the fish. <laughs> I believe that. Every time that she would heat it up, I think it was less and less and less. Nonetheless, you know what happened? My grandma wanted to violate the authority of my dad. But this is the thing. My dad 
had the true authority over my life. So even though I wanted to disobey my dad, <laughs> in reality, and maybe my grandma also wanted to disobey my dad, he had the legitimate authority to make me that soup. You understand what I'm saying? When the Lord Jesus Christ, there's many people in the world that might say that we have no right to proclaim the gospel in schools, to proclaim the, the gospel outside of hospitals, to proclaim the gospels outside of abortion clinics. They might be telling us that, but the one that holds the legitimate authority and is sending us into the world, a hostile world, is the one that holds the authority. He's the one that is commanding us to do so. And not doing so is be disobedient to the one that is commanding us. It doesn't mean that we have to be ugly. It doesn't mean that we have to hurt people with the truth. But what it means is that we need to be very wise and navigate this world, navigating this world to share the gospel that we have been sent to proclaim with the authority that has, with the one that has the authority. As we continue, we're going to see that he's sending us with that authority. He's saying, go. He said in Matthew 28, 19, we proclaim the word and make disciples. This is what he said in Mark 16, 16 15. Jesus is expecting us to go and proclaim the gospel. He's not only sending us with authority, he's sending us to make very specific things, to make disciples and proclaim. You know, I remember, I remember uh, the year 2000, we were in Chicago, and we were going to bring a team, a short-term a short missions team, from Armitage Baptist Church to Mexico City. And Soon enough, you know, everybody knew that going to Mexico City was going to be a lot cheaper. So we had like 44 people registered right away. And my wife said something really interesting. Hey, what if we ask them if they are already making disciples in Chicago, then we will bring them with us to Mexico City. Because this is the thing, right? Sometimes, and I know that uh, First Ivan is very different than other churches, but sometimes what happens is every mission trip, we get experts in missions. You know what I'm talking about, right? Those experts in missions that because they read two books, now they know everything that you are doing wrong in the mission field. Have you had those guys? Those people? I love them. I love them because they keep me humble. And they give me in, in my knees, <laughs> right? But I remember that because my wife said, if they're already making disciples where they are, then it's more, it's, it's, there's a high probability that they will help us make disciples when they come in the mission field. And you know, instead of taking 44 people, we ended up bringing only 13. Why? Because if you are making disciples where you are, there's a higher probability that you will make disciples where you are going. Sometimes we have a lot of experts that have never done the job. 
And I think it's really important to understand that the Lord is asking all of us to make disciples. And I love this because the, what a disciple is, according to the theological definition, is this. Discipleship is someone who is following Jesus, being changed by Jesus, and is committed to the mission of sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. Three things. Someone who is following Jesus, therefore the word disciple, right? A follower, an apprentice, if you will. Being changed by Jesus. It's not only about having the right information. It's about letting the information come into your heart and show itself in change in your life. And number three, sharing the good news. It's committed to the mission of sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. So, said in other words, is somebody that looks at you and says, you are here, you could be here spiritually. Let me help you get there. That's what discipleship is. You are there, you could be there. Let me help you. Walk with you along the way so you could become somebody now that is following Jesus, that is being changed by Jesus, and is committed to the mission of sharing the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ. But hey, well, it's easy for Jesus to say that. Go. But what is he doing? What did he do to be able for me to follow him, you know, to follow his lead? Well, he only went in... Uh, John 4 to where nobody had have gone before and if you remember in John 4 he's going to uh, he's going through a place Samaria and the Bible says that he needed to go to Samaria well uh, there's a lot of disagreement in many people they say well he didn't really need it to go well the my Bible says that he needed to my Bible says that. But what we understand, we understand what they're saying, right? There was animosity between the Jewish people and the Samaritans. And now the Lord Jesus Christ is saying that he needs to go there because there's, he has an appointment. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus... Uh, worried that he was um, from his journey, was sitting beside the well, and it was about the sixth hour, about noon. A woman from Samaria came down and draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away to the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is that you, a Jew, ask me for a drink? For I'm a woman from Samaria. Then there's a parenthesis. For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered to her, If you knew the gift of God, and who is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would ask him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get this living water? He gave us... Are you greater than our father Jacob? 
He gave us the well and drank from itself. And did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I, would, that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I, will, that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And the woman said to her, sir, give me the water so that I will not be thirsty again and I don't have to come here to draw water. You know the whole story from that point on. And the Lord right away intervenes and, said, and asks her a question about, hey, bring your husband. And she said, oh, I have no husband. I said, well, you have spoken well because five husbands you've had and the one that you're living with right now is not your husband. Ooh, you might be a prophet. Yeah, she's, she's uh, avoiding the subject and changing the subject. But what is interesting is that if you notice what, what Jesus is doing right now, he's using water just water to talk about something that is a lot more important thirst but not any kind of thirst spiritual thirst not just physical thirst but a thirst that we all have that she has and Jesus is promising to her this water through faith in him and that she will be satisfied forever what is interesting is that he has to jump through different barriers, you see. He had to send the, the disciples away because otherwise if Peter would have been there or if John would have been there, probably they would have said, hey, hey, master, ah, she's a woman. Hey, master, he, she, she's a sinner. So she had to, he has to send them away, but then he still has to jump through different barriers. Number one, he has to go through the gender barrier. Jump through that barrier. He is a man. She is a woman. Wow, the theme of gender identity nowadays has become a very hot topic. You think that Jesus would have addressed that? No, he would have jumped through that to get to the real need. Number one, he jumps through the gender barrier. She's even surprised. How could you be a man, a Jew? It's talking to me who... I'm a Samaritan woman. The first barrier that he has to jump is a gender, gender barrier. I wonder if some of us have believed that sometimes we shouldn't be talking to other people that are not like us. Number two, he has to jump through the racial barrier. He is a Jew and she is a Samaritan woman. Different tribes. One is a 100% Jew. The other one is just a half-breed. A half the Samaritan woman. There's a lot of racial barriers that we have to jump through now, nowadays. African-American, Caucasian, Latino, Indian, Vietnamese, Asian. That's only here in Memphis. And yet the Lord, because he sees the real need, he doesn't care. He sees something that is a lot more important. Jumps through the first barrier, the gender barrier. The second one, the racial barrier. He also talks about, I think he has to jump through the social barrier. He is a rabbi. Somebody who is honorable in society. She's a sinner. She has to go at noon to draw water. Because she's ashamed. Everybody else is ostracizing her. Socially, she's an outcast. 
and he is a revered rabbi. We get to the fourth barrier that he has to jump through to get to her, the religious barrier. Because Jews and, and, and Gentiles, and Jews and, and Samaritans, even though they share the Old Testament, the first five books of the Bible, everything else is different. So the religion is different. Their expression is different. They worship in different places. She says that right away. And yet, because he loves her, he's going to jump through gender, racial, social, religious barriers. And even to the last one, a spiritual barrier. She is a sinner. He is the Savior. She is a sinner. He is a rabbi that is willing to teach her and give her the, wor the water that springs eternal life, that quenches our soul, that quenches our thirst. How many barriers do we need to jump through just in our neighborhood? In the neighborhood? Think about the person that is across the street. What do they look like? I've been fascinated by the street where uh, the wishers live because every time that we go out, there's a huge Israeli flag. And, and believe me, I love Israel. And I pray for the peace of Israel. And I pray that that war would stop. But I wonder how many people, when they see that flag and they see the other thing, and how do they feel about it? And I think sometimes that would create more barriers that we need to maybe approach. Or maybe we should just go with those people and say, hey, I wonder if you know about the true, the true Messiah. Things like that. I think that the Lord is giving us opportunities everywhere, everywhere we see, everywhere we look. The Lord is always giving us opportunities. But this is the thing. 2018... Something in, in Houston happened. Just like here, you guys have um, stoplights, right? And usually when you see a yellow light, that usually means slow down. Usually, right? But you know, in Texas, they did something not very bright. Those Texans, right? So uh, our, our uh, governor decided that no longer the pictures of people running through the red light were going to be used against them. So instead of encouraging people to follow the law, guess what has happened? Everybody is running through the red light. A lot of accidents are going on. Why? Because what happened with that movement is that the law became a suggestion. And when a law becomes a suggestion, then there's no law at all. You see the problem sometimes that many of us as believers have. We think that when the Lord Jesus Christ is saying, go into the world and make disciples, we see it as a suggestion. When in reality, it is an order. It's a commandment. It's a mandate. It's like when we say to Johnny, Hey, Johnny, could you go up to your room 
and clean up your room? Well, Johnny knows by the inflection of your voice that you really are not giving her, him a commandment. It's not a mandate. It's a suggestion. Especially after two or three days, I say, Johnny, could you go up to your room? And then Johnny says, no. And then you begin trying to bribe little Johnny. If you clean your room, then I'm going to take you for an ice cream. I don't like ice cream. Okay, if you clean your room, I'm going to buy you that game that you've been wanting for so long. Okay, I'll go up and clean my room. Then he goes up, cleans his room. You go in and it's completely lousy. His job is horrendous. But in order to have Johnny happy, you say, okay, let's go to the store and buy you that game. So then Johnny grows up thinking that really commandments aren't to be followed. That are suggestions. And that's what's going on sometimes in other churches. Now, I'm, I'm here to tell you that I'm impressed with the quality of service, with the quality of dedication and compromise. And, and it's just amazing what you guys are doing here in First Event. I really want to applaud what you are doing. But I imagine that there's room for improvement all the time, right? And I think, I think that there's only two, two things that we could do with a command. Either we obey or we disobey. So having an option to obey, we have decided that this is a commandment. This is a commandment and the Lord has an expectation for us to obey. And this is a joint effort. Look at that. So it's not only a commandment that needs to be obeyed, it's also something that needs to be done together. Because he said to them, not only to one, not only to an individual, not only to a few, but to everyone. He said to them. I know that we are in America and we live in a highly individualistic society. So whatever I do, don't get in my business. But you know, when he sent the disciples, he sent them by, in, in, in groups of two, right? And I see why. Back in 2013, our church in Mexico, uh, all five of our elders, this is interesting, all five of our elders began... Um, to be attacked by the cartels. Because this is the thing. We were, even though we were not a very wealthy church, we tried to operate with a lot of um, uh, organization. So we had people outside of the place that we were renting. And they were, they were dressed up as nice as they could. And we would hand out bulletins outside as they were coming into the place of worship or, well, it was just a party hall, but... Nonetheless, we have to clean it up and decorate it every single week. And it was a beating, believe me. But the thing is, the crooks saw that we were really organized. And they thought, mm, organization means they have money, if they only knew. That there were times that we didn't even have enough money to pay the rent. However, they thought that we had money. And each one, one by one, all five elders of our church, including Hermano Gaitan, and you probably don't know this, including Hermano Gaitan, was uh, threatened by kidnapping Sarita, Sara, 
and we didn't know where this was coming from. After two months, we found out what was going on. The Lord operated. He, he did miraculous works. And we ended up being, all of us ended up being safe and sound. But what you didn't know, and what my wife knew very well, is that I, it started in my heart an anger. An anger toward ministry. A resentment toward the world. And a disappointment with the Lord. And for 11 months, I was depressed. And I would preach. And I would come up and I would say something. But my heart wasn't in it. Everybody can tell. Everybody could tell. But me. So one day, the Lord finally, he slapped me around. I'll tell you more later on how he did it. But I was, my wife and my daughter were having a conversation. We call it intense fellowship. Right? Have you and your daughters have ever had like intense fellowship? Or you and your boys? Well, they were having that intense fellowship at that moment. And I heard that my wife was saying to Jesse, you're going to do that and you're going to do it now. So I stepped in, right, because I'm the father. And I need to tell her, tell my daughter, you're going to do this right now. So I opened the door. They're having that argument. And I said, you're going to do that. And you're going to do it joyfully. Believe it or not, I felt like a huge finger was pressing against my chest. And I had to take two steps back. I don't know what kind of face I put. My wife was like, what's going on? And I ran to my room. I shut the door. And for two hours, I was yelling and screaming, this is not fair. This is not fair. This is not fair. And the Lord slapped me around as gentle as he is, as loving as he is. And with only the scripture, he just confronted me. Two hours later, I'm in my knees. I'm crying. I'm sweating. And when I walked out of that room, my wife said, you look different. Sometimes obeying the Lord is not the easiest thing, but I guarantee you, is the one that shows the more blessing, the blessing to us. Some are going, this is a joint effort. And you know, if I wasn't with my wife, if I wasn't with other people that saw me indeed in, in, in such great need, it would have been horrible. So I'm, I'm sorry for those missionaries that are by themselves. Not sorry, but I pray for them. Because it's so important, my brothers and sisters, that we would do this. But we would do this as a joint effort. We are going. Some are going. Almost, I'm almost finishing here. But H.V. Lemley, Hermano Juan. And I'm going to read from your own global mission focus. This is September 2022. Issue... I don't remember my, my Roman numerals, but anyway, it's one of those issues written in ruminal numbers. The Bible, the, the focus says, First Evangelical Church has partnered with the, gospel, with, with, uh, with the gospel ministry work among the Tlapaneco Indians of Guerrero State, Mexico, for 80 years. So this is 
five years ago, so we're going on 85 years now. Mr. H.V. Lemley married Mildred Lewis at First Ivan in October of 1939. And they went directly to work in a remote region of this tribe. When Mr. Lemley went to be with the Lord in 1972, Mrs. Lemley, I'm sorry, went to be with the Lord in 1972, Ruben Gaitan became Mr. Lemley's Timothy. And together they carried out the ministry. When Mr. Lemley went to be with the Lord in 1993, Ruben became the director of the ministry in 1997. He married Leticia Aguilar, missionary to the granddaughter. Uh, and granddaughter to the first Tlapaneco convert to Christ. And together, they have carried uh, on the ministry. There are now many Tlapaneco believers, some 50 churches and missions, and approximately 45 full-time ministry workers. So, what is interesting in this is that some are going, we all should make disciples, but this is the way that he had been done and the way that we do it is we, we must send workers right and we, sh we should pray and I'm going to go back to this but it's really important that 2 Timothy 2 2 is for us very well um, exemplified so we know about H.V. H. Lemley and what a great man he was and what a great ministry he had we know about hermano Ruben Gaitan who had surgery this morning and he was just released from hospital because he's doing so well. Praise God. So when you read 2 Timothy 2.2, what it says there, and probably many of you know it by heart, this is part of making disciples, right? How can we make disciples if we don't make leaders as well? Leaders is a key component of the next generation of leadership and the next generation of, uh, of believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, the one that are going to carry on the work. And 2 Timothy 2.2 says, says as follows, And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will, who will be able to teach others also. So you see, H.V. Lemley went to Mexico Back in 39, after 10 years, he found one of uh, one Tlapaneco. Oh, is it, uh, Catarino. He found Catarino and became his translator and somebody to help him to not only understand Tlapaneco, but to write the first New Testament in Mepa. Eventually, uh, once his, uh, uh, he, he had a, somebody that was helping them, and uh, not only him, but uh, Mrs. Lemley, at home in Cuernavaca. This was an older lady that had different uh, grandkids, including one whose name was Ruben. He started helping Hermano Lemley here and there, and eventually he went to school. And when Mrs. Lemley went to be with the Lord, Mr. Lemley talked to Ruben and said, I need you. And Ruben really not, really wanted to be more of an architect and follow his lead in that, but he obeyed the calling. So what we see here is somebody that has heard many things and now is training others. 
So we see that operating beautifully there in Sierra Tlapaneca. H.V. Lemley preparing Ruben. And Ruben, I would like for Abel to get up, to stand up. Abel, ponte de pie. Eventually, hermano, through many other people, has been discipling many men like Abel. Abel, who is also cousin to Leti Gaitan. Eventually, he was talking to other people who, and he got to know Jose, who is the brother of Galo. Would you please send up Galo? Y párate, por favor, también, Abel. So imagine, hermano Lemley, second generation is Ruben, third generation is Abel and Leti, fourth generation is Galo. My dear brothers and sisters, this is exactly what we are doing in the world. But it shouldn't be only in Sierra Tlapaneca. We should be doing it here as well, amen? What I love about this is that exactly is what First Ivan is doing and has been doing for the last 85 years. Thank you. Pueden sentarse. Gracias. This is exactly what we are doing. And for that, I'm very thankful. We must send workers. What do we need to do? Well, first of all, we need to pray, right? We need to pray. Matthew 9, 38 says that pray to the Lord of the harvest that he would send workers to the harvest. Long time ago, Mrs. Ross and Mrs. Lang is the year 18, approximately 1885. They are living in Costa Rica. And they're, they're uh, investing in coffee plantation, and they're owners of coffee plantations. And these women are, women are burdened with thousands of Spanish-speaking people around them in Costa Rica, where they were living, and they were living in spiritual darkness. They were moved to pray that God would send laborers into the harvest field in Costa Rica. Meanwhile, back in Dallas, Texas, C.I. Schofield, Dr. C.I. Schofield, is dealing with his own personal conviction. See, he has just returned from Niagara Falls Conference, a Niagara Falls Convention, and upon hearing William Carey, he felt really convicted about Acts 1-8 and the Samaria that he was part of. And he began thinking, Schofield knew that this meant that the immediate, immediate neighbors south of the U.S. border, particularly in Central America, which had long been overlooked by an evangelistic goal. In November 14 and 1890, Schofield, with the support of three Christian businessmen, who were closely shared the vision, and they had a yearning and a desire to reach out to the Latin American people, took a step of faith and officially formed the Central America Mission. But everything began why or how? With two ladies that saw something that they couldn't fix, but they knew the one that could fix it. It began with prayer. And I love that because maybe you feel, oh, my, I'm too old now. I cannot go into the mission field, but you can pray. Maybe you're feeling, oh, I have small kids and I couldn't leave the United States, but you can pray. So at least something that we could do, we must send workers, but yeah, we could begin by praying. 
We can begin by equipping, just like Mr. Lamley did with Hermano Gaitan, with Abel, with Galo, and so on and so forth. We need to support. First Van has supported missionaries for more than 80 years. You have an amazing record. It's humbling just to witness what you guys are doing. I'm extremely thankful for the support that you have given to the mission world. So we need to identify people that are called. And you know, this is sometimes a little bit subjective. When you ask people, how were you called into ministry? If you ask people here that are missionaries, each one of them is going to have a different story. And none of them might be even equal. My wife, when she was eight years old, she was in Montana, even though they live in Mexico. They were invited to Montana for um, a, a conference. And she probably, it was Friday night, the day when you commit your life, you remember, and you get a little stick and you put it in the fire. And she said that probably she was too close to the fire and she started sweating. But then the fire made her think of her friends in Mexico. That if they would die, they would spend an eternity in hell. And that day, at eight years old, not long ago, she decided to put that stick on the fire and commit her life in full-time missions. Or maybe like Brother Dan Wisher, who I may cry a lot this morning and I cried together, but anyway. But he was saying, he was telling me how he was called into ministry. And this is his, his personal uh, calling. He said that he was envisioning himself getting before the Savior and showing the circuits that he was working in and say, this is what I made for you. Now, if that's what you do and that's how you glorify the Lord, wonderful. But if you have a calling into ministry and you're going to show circuits, you see the point, right? So at that moment, he had to make a very difficult decision of leaving that behind. That was 40 years ago, my goodness. Of leaving all that behind to glorify the Lord by following his calling. Hermano Gaitan, I don't know that he really had a calling per se, other than Hermano Lemley saying, you're going to come with me. You go. And as somebody placed in authority, what did he do? He obeyed. So I don't know what your calling is going to look like, but if you are being called, maybe it's like me. I remember my wife, well, back then it was somebody that I just looked like <sighs> with a lot of uh, uh, desire and prayer, wishful thinking. And I remember she's singing and uh, there's another guy, he's preaching about maybe you're calling to ministry, da-da-da-da-da. And lo and behold, all of a sudden when they make this calling, I don't remember standing up. All I knew is that all of a sudden people are touching me because they said, hey, put your hands on the people that are standing up because the Lord is calling them. And I remember feeling like, oh, who's touching me? Get away. And when I opened my eyes, I was standing up. I don't know how the Lord is going to call you into ministry. But you know what we need to do? We need to obey. We need to obey. You know why? 
because we need to send our love to the world. We need to send people like you. So the application, by Jesus is calling and we respond by going or by sending. Either you're going to go, but tonight we have to respond. We're going to go because the Lord is calling us or we're going to send because the Lord is calling somebody else and we're going to support them with prayer and financially. The applications today, we're going to finish with four. There's not going to be three tonight. Which missionary you'll pray for on a regular basis? I've seen how I've seen your, your, that booklet that has all the international partners. And I remember uh, a lady in Armitage, and she got uh, a dice, and depending, and they assign a, a name, a number to each one of the missionaries. So depending on where the dice would fall, now we're not, we're not promoting, you know, gambling to the kids, but you understand the point, right? So they would assign one, one number and then roll the dice, and depending on where the dice fall, then they would pray for that missionary, missionary or that unit that day before the meal. And that's a way that we could promote missions with our children. Amen? So which missionary will you pray for on a regular basis. So what we're saying is you're going to adopt this missionary. And that means that probably you're going to have to text them or send them an email every once in a while. Or get a hold of them. Maybe you could even call if they are not in a dangerous position where they are. But follow up with them. Adopt them. Adopt that missionary because they need encouragement. Believe me, they need a lot of encouragement. You don't know what they go through. And just a phone call every once in a while is going to encourage them like you have no idea. New, number two, how will you increase your support to missions? That's something between you and the Lord. Right now we are, we're hard pressed because we'd love to see those $20,000 for Mission Tlapaneca. And I had another stat that probably you don't know, or maybe you do, maybe you know more than I think. Anyway, you know that most of our Pastors and missionaries in Sierra Tlapaneca are bivocational. And are bivocational because what they need, their, their ministerial need is between four to five hundred dollars a month, but they're only receiving hundred and twenty dollars a month, the pastors and the missionaries, approximately eighty dollars a month. But the need far surpasses what we are providing them. And because of it, many of them are working in a different situation. So they are bivocational. Practically all of them. What if we would take, we would adopt a family unit there in, in Mission Tlapaneca? I don't know, maybe the Lord calls you to do something like that. Three, would you consider going? Because right now we're partnering and sending. What if the Lord is sending you somewhere else? Will you consider it today? I only put in your, in your notes one option. Yes. I didn't want to give you the other option. If you, you know, you might not have to circle anything. But if you say yes, may the, I, I guarantee you, the Lord will be with you. It's not going to be easy. 
but it's going to be the most rewarding thing you've ever been part of in your life. Something that I've noticed as I've been here is the need also that we have in Katy, Texas. I love faithful believers. I love how you have modeled to us all the people with gray hair. Thank you so much for being faithful. Thank you so much for praying for all the new generation. But you know what is lacking more and more in the church in North America? People that doesn't have gray hair. And we need to commit to prayer to families with younger children. That's not only a problem in Katy, Texas. We've had three months of brainstorming about how we're going to reach out to the next generation. And I think that's something that here in North America we need to change. And I imagine in Memphis you have probably something similar going on. So why don't we pray? We might not have to be sent out. Maybe we just need to be sent across the street in our own neighborhoods. Because we need to do that even today. Heavenly Father, Jesus Christ came and died in the cross for us. We have something to say to the world. We have been sent. Whether across the street or around the world. And just like that woman, Father, we, we may have to jump through different barriers nowadays. But Lord, you have given us the authority. We go with your authority. And it's a commandment that you have given us. Thank you for first event, because they've been faithful in doing so. But Father, we need to be mindful that there's a lot of people around us from every tribe, every nation that need to hear the gospel, even here in Memphis, Tennessee. Father, thank you for Brother John Lemley, Hermano Juan, for HV, because you gave him a vision, a vision that other people thought that it was going to be impossible to fulfill. And yet, Lord, you have proven yourself to be so faithful over and over and over in Sierra Tlapaneca. But Father, it's not the only ministry that we are involved, that First Ivan is involved. We pray for each one of our missionaries, the missionaries in this church. Father, give them amazing opportunities to share the gospel. For the Frasers, Lord, that are going to go to Iraq, pray for t protection. Pray for amazing opportunities there. For each one of the missionaries, Lord, that are part of this church. We call them missionaries or we call them international partners. Even for the local partners, Lord. Help us to be faithful, not only in going, 
but in sending, to pray for them, to watch over them. And Father, if you are calling us today, I pray that you would make that very clear in our lives. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Reverend uh, Munoz has given us a lot to think about, some different possible applications, whether regularly praying for a missionary, increasing our support, considering going. Take just a moment right now, and maybe you want to write something down on your card, or you want to talk to the person next to you, or you want to pray about what you heard. Take just a moment now just to mentally process what the next step is for you, and then we're going to sing together. Oh. 
together stand firm to be able to together spread the word thank you so much for being here this evening it's a joy to be together as God's people thank you Munoz family for being with us and uh, all of our guests with us and we continue here on in this week um, we will be back together for meetings like this on Friday night and then on uh, Sunday morning and Sunday night. Is there anything else that needs to be announced, Jim or Lee? No? Men's breakfast tomorrow morning at 6.30 in the gathering place. Okay. Lord, thank you for a good evening. Uh, we pray that you would bless uh, what has happened here tonight. We pray that the result of what has happened tonight would be more people knowing Jesus, being saved. We pray that your name would be glorified here in this place and around the world. Amen.